Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, hello there again from 3CR, 3CR, your only radio left. And it's good morning from us here uh, from Left After Breakfast. Susanna, Susanna Duffy with you again today on another beautiful, beautiful Melbourne day. Joined, of course, by uh, co-host Glenn, the resident 3CR historian, his and her historian, our historian. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Susanna. Good morning, listeners. And uh, in listener land, a happy birthday to my friend Tambourina. I beg your pardon. Happy birthday to my friend Tamba, or Tamba, Tamborina to her friends. But Tamborina. That's what um, Christiana at work calls her. But um, yes, Tamba. That's it. That's not a friend of yours. Tamba. Goodness me, she was my ex team leader. Tamba's a chimpanzee. Good luck. I wouldn't say that to her. And a happy birthday to Tamba and Listener Land. So there With you go. One of Johnny uh, Johnny Wiesmuller's little friends, little well, fairy friends. Her mother he H- had Tamba and Cheetah. Her mother H named her Tamba many years ago. Tamba didn't many years ago. Well, then when um, Tamba the chimpanzee was at his famous film star height. Well, I don't. For heaven's know. sake, I'll have to ask H one day why she named her daughter Tamba. But it's Tamba's birthday, so I'm sending her a birthday greeting. Well, um, Tamba, happy birthday, and I um, hope you're not too shocked and startled by your name. But you must know yourself; it's the name of. Um, the chimpanzee. I'll have to word to Tamba when we catch it's up. It's a bit. A, well, frosty. at least I mean, you could be called ba- ba- Bagheera, which might be worse. Good lord, who's Bagheera? Bagheera. Who's Bagheera? His voice was like honey. His back was like velvet as he slipped, slinked slipperily down the side of the tree. Oh yes, toward the jungle Mowgli. Mowgli, yes, I know. God, I yes, have not read for forty-five years at least. Remember Daktari? Oh, yes, but that's not 45 years ago, no, was it? That was it just, would be. That was just a mad t- TV series. It was with, late 60s. And the music, didn't have the music of the little elephants. Oh, I can't recall. They were called Daktarian. And you have a show They had jeeps rolling across the felt. For my, my youth, and it's a long time ago, was Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion. Ah, yes. Killer Kane used to uh, speak <laughs> fondly of Clarence the Cross-Eyed Lion. He was only distressed that... Um, that Poor Clarence had a fellow trying to look like him, and that was Marty Ferguson. Oh, no, please don't mention it. No, please. I'm, no, I'm, but, but that, I'm feeling okay. Yeah, please. but that was no, Killers. No, uh, that, that's, that's really scrapping the barrel, my dear. We can, but uh, that was Killers. We can uh, surpass that, um, that spokesperson for the business community. Anyway, let's talk about a working person. And we've just had a centenary of the, uh, the disastrous, <laughs> dreadful invasion of the beach of Gallipoli. And what oh, a waste God, yes. of how many thousands Kiwis, Turks, Australians, Indians, British, Newfoundland people, Irish. What a waste. Because Winston Churchill wanted to have a, a land route true to back up the Russians, the Tsarist Russians. And they wasted so many thousands of lives. No one told the Turks. But they just lived there. Yeah. <laughs> it's their homeland. Anyway, but what, they're of no importance. They, of course they, not. They were of no importance then because we invaded for freedom and democracy, didn't we? And freedom, of, <laughs> freedom of trade and democracy of capital it was. Anyway, one of the most famous names from the uh, Allied side, the Australian side, was John Kirkpatrick Simpson, the man of a donkey. Yes, and he was an intriguing character. And, we and what was his donkey's name? Which one? There was a few donkeys. 
Why her similar name to you? Yes. Not Susanna. No, Duffy. Duffy. And there was also, um, there was Abdul, there was Murphy, head of a range of donkeys. But John Kirkpatrick Simpson is a name we keep hearing over the man for donkey. What a great man he was. And he was a brave man. He never bought arms. He never carried a gun. His job was to save his wounded comrades. I do recall the current Prime Minister, when he wasn't a Prime Minister, ranting and raving on about how uneducated Australian children were. Oh, ho, ho, really? Look at them now under you. But the fact that they were so uneducated, in fact, he said they didn't even know about Simpson and his donkey. And I was thinking, well, you don't know about bloody Simpson and his no, bloody donkey, don't. do you? If, you, if you're quoting the men, you know nothing about him. He stood there. Against everything you stand Correct. for. He was born in the northern, northern county of Durham, in the town called Shields in County Durham in northern England. And it's a mining community. And um, a lot of, well, most young men went down the mines in those days. And you know how the mine owners treated the workers, don't you? Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. But for some of those who escaped the mine, there was other jobs. And his dad was a merchant seaman. So Mr. Simpson Sr. was a merchant seaman who worked around the world. Young Simpson left school at an early age, and um, he became like a lot of young men working in a range of jobs, and the mines didn't appeal to him. But something he enjoyed doing during school holidays was working at the fairs. He'd often be involved in leading the donkeys around, giving rides to excited little kids. So from an early age, this, this rapport was born of donkeys. Because they uh, didn't have the little, those nasty little biting little Shetland ponies like we have. Well, there's no, there's no dodgem cars, there's no choo-choo trains, no ghost trains. And we trains. don't have it was donkeys. donkeys here, yeah. But he led kids around the donkeys. He developed a really strong affinity and bond of donkeys from an early age. Um, eventually, he followed the footsteps of his father and joined the Merchant Navy. And he's on board a boat in 910 where the conditions are pretty shitty. And he's like, no, I don't like this. So Simpson, age 18, jumped boat he jumped in Newcastle. Boat. He jumped boat. My God, he was an illegal immigrant. He was. Like my, well, my great-grandfather jumped boat too from Germany yeah. around the same time. And he jumped boat in Newcastle, Australia. And he worked like Tim at work. He worked in the mines. He was a cane cutter. He worked in the gold fields. He was in Queensland, New South Wales, WA. And he saw a lot more of Australia than most native-born would have seen in those days. And um, there's talk he might have been a member of the Wobblies. Not too sure. There's also rumours he's a Wobbly member. Who knows? Anyway, when the Great Trade War also known as World War One, broke out. He thought, hmm, like a lot of our English-born, I want to join the army because um, we're going to go back to England and see my family. That was his desire, join the Australian army and be sent back to England. And he, he, had, a, he had a wonderful love for his family, especially his mother. He often wrote to his mother letter after letter. He often sent his wages to his mother and his sisters because they were doing it hard in the UK. And in those days... Poverty was a way of life for so many men around the world. It's, that was what the free markets produced, poverty. So he helped his mother and his sister by sending money back from Australia. He thought, hmm, okay, so while I was sending him money, I'll join the army and I'll return to England. So he found himself in the Australian army, or the Australian Imperial Force, as we know, the first AIF. And off he went on the boat, but he didn't finish up back in England. Where did he finish up? He finished in Egypt amongst the pyramids. And he was horrified. I thought, no, no. Will I see my family again? I've joined the Australian Army to go back to England. What can I do? He often wrote to his family from Egypt, but his regrets. You know, why am I here? I want to see you come back to England, back to the homeland, blah, 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 blah. But it was not to be. Because Simpson, like many thousands of others, found himself on a boat bound for Gallipoli, for the Dardanelles, on April 25, 1915. And he was in the first batch of soldiers to disembark 
But again, what was he there for? You know, what was he in Gallipoli? And I suppose just just to give an idea of the mindset he had before he that last journey to Gallipoli, one of the last letters he wrote to his mother, and I'll quote here: I "Often wonder when the working men of England will wake up and see things as other people see them. What they want in England is a good revolution, and they will clear the millionaires and lords and dukes, and like a Labour government will help workers look after themselves." Now, does Tony Abbott? Or Brendan Nelson quote this letter about his um, desires to have a bit of a revolution in England and claim the Dukes and Millionaire? They have no idea. They never had any idea. Never had any idea. Well, Simpson wanted these things. They didn't know about Simpson. He thought a Labour government might bring out revolution. He was misguided. But Well, in 1915. Well, it was like a dream, wasn't it, a Mm. Labour government? His heart was in the right place. He wanted the millionaires to go, the dukes and duchesses to go. He wanted New England where the the working person was free to live their own lives, where there's no poverty, no oppression. This is Simpson's desire. But as it was, he wasn't deceived. He found himself disembarking on April 25 on Gallipoli. And as I said, Simpson never bought arms in the military. His job was to lead donkeys up to find wounded soldiers. And the next few weeks, he had a series of donkeys. There was um, there was Abdul, there was Murphy, and of course there was Duffy. And unarmed, he went through the carnage of the surroundings in a safeless <laughs> safe effort to save the fallen. And there's never been a medal for Simpson. For all his bravery, his name lives on 100 years later. There's no Victoria Cross, no military cross. The man saved maybe hundreds of wounded men, but was never given a medal for it. I mean, you think, hmm, okay, well, if we're going to idolise him on all sides of politics, the left and the right, why not let's give him one of these medals that the, uh, the Royal Family bestow upon these suckled heroes, you know? Yeah. Where's his recognition? But his time on Gallipoli was very short. Because in a fortnight after the invasion, on May 9, 1915, he was shot and killed. So we, you know, we often we extol his name as a, a brave digger. But let's look at the real Simpson, the, the merchant seaman who was maybe a wobbly, who was an itinerant worker, who cared for his family in the UK, and who was still committed to a new and better world. And if you want to read more and about... never carried a bloody gun. That's right. He never bore arms. And if you want to read this article and learn more, you can get hold of the latest copy of a wonderful magazine called The Pen. Ah, oh, yes. It has a lot of good stories on a range of topics like uh, Podemos in Spain, uh, what's happening in Greece. What is happening in Greece? No, I don't want to talk about Greece. It's too involved and the bag man will be mm-hmm. uh, reporting live from Greece next week. The, I mean, the constant attacks on the building workers by the Royal Commission... The, the role of Grocon and the, the collapse of the war, which happened in, in Carlton, and the work for the Dole contract sold to US companies. Learn more, read more. The Pens and Magazine I highly recommend to 3CR listeners. Where do you get the Pen the Magazine? Li- there's copies laying around 3CR. Yeah, but- you can find it from International Bookshop, or you can, there's a website, there's an email link, and I've got to say, what's, what's the email link, my dear? You can subscribe to the Pen. At P.O. Box 429 Collingwood. The P.O. Pen, Box 429, eh? P.O. Box 429 I'm just looking at myself, listener. Hmm. I'm just going to pass it over to me, Glenn. Thank you. Glenn's just passed me the copy of it. And uh, was there a bit subscribe? No, there's nothing. There's only the post office box. Nothing yes. else. Well, that's a pity. The pen, as the in, pen. you know, the writing implements. Yeah. Well, what does Iskra stand for? The old Soviet paper. Was it the, It was Iskra the pen? The original... No, it was the spark, sorry. <laughs> God, my Russian's very poor, I noticed sorry. inside here it says to check out our website. It's, it's, it's about to go online. Oh, cool. Sounds good. There have been some gremlins, but there's no... 
address for it. If wow. you have trouble with your website, pen people, just give me a ring, send me an email. If you need some help, okay. I do a fair bit of pro bono work for um, groups. If, well, groups of, 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 of which I approve. I mean, not just any group. I mean, I didn't do the women who want to be wealthy or the women who want to be wombats. But I'm, I'm quite I'm happy to, haven't you? Yeah. Well, I, that's because I wouldn't give them any help with their websites, would I? So, therefore, that's, that's why you've never heard of them. That's not Gina Rodhart, is it? But there are plenty of other. Or Gina no, or Bayou? No, that's not Mount Gina, but one of the women involved was, is called Princess Poppy. Good Lord. And because I myself have a title, as you know, Glenn, but I don't go around using my title. And, poppy. and I don't mean um, my title that I'm known in online circles as Susanna Dame Duffy. I only call myself, I, I gave that dame to myself. I awarded myself a damehood. Why not? Why not? when uh, Prince Philip, that bloody fascist oh, old God. bastard, he is, racist, got uh, a free gong from the Prime Minister. Well, some no, but I have an Minister. actual sort of family title. It's a hereditary title, which means you would call me Lady, address me as Lady MacDonald. You're a lady. But I don't use that, you know, as you? you know. I'm just called Glenn. <laughs> well, there my, family, you go. my family have none of those bestowed titles. There's Mr. and Mrs. and there's, um, well, my there's family Margaret title, and Glenn's and Tom's. And Well, my family title comes from ownership of land. You wouldn't have any of that. Mm. <laughs> my, uh, my family nowadays, my family have changed immensely over the last <laughs> by 30 years. Like so many Australians that, you know... Generations upon generations do it hard, and you finally break through. And hey, you're part of a system there, and you want to maintain your part of a system because Australia was a land of opportunity. It was, and we've got to remember, you know, like as Woody Guthrie sang in Passes of Plenty, you know, it's migrant workers that have built, you know, the new world, the advanced and they capitalist have. countries. Who built Australia? Who built the Great Snowy? The hydro schemes. Who how, built the dams? Who built the west gate? How many men died there on the snowy in um, those dams? I've got a book at home. I can tell you if I can find the book. It's uh, Fergus Robinson did a wonderful work on the OHS issues on the snowy dam. It's somewhere at home on my my hoarded collection of documents. But um, if I can dig it out, I might just throw one W. Fergus Robinson wrote this in the late 90s. He reviewed all the documents about the amount of depths. And the workers, they came from the Ukraine, from Deutschland, from Yugoslavia, from Poland, Estonia, Italy, Greece, Malta. They were the ones that came across and were given the, the shit jobs. But they built Australia. The Australia we hear about, you know, the great Australia. Well, who built it? How did it happen? It happened Hattis. by magic, by osmosis? Well, scarcely by osmosis. Magic is <laughs> well, no. a possibility, but <laughs> but not probable. But, yeah, but has, what's what's the saying? And whether you were born, and whether we were born yeah. here or born in Italy or Greece or Spain, Spain or Ireland. Ireland or England or Fiji. All of us are workers. All of us are workers and united we must stand. To drive the wealthy bludgers. Until the wealthy oh, yeah. bludgers have been driven from this land. Whoa! Yeah, well, yeah, hold it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But, but keep, it, keep your power to dry. But there's even it? more wealthy bludges now. The wealthy bludges are expanding. I mean, it's interesting, you know, the, um, not the voice, not the mouthpiece, I suppose, the, maybe the, the peg body for the, uh, the capitalist classes around the world, the OECD. Itself is noting just the disparity of the last 25, 30 years. There's more and more wealthy. And the gap between those that have 
and those that have nothing, it gets bigger and bigger. And um, Warren Buffett himself on the wealthiest American, but he said himself, you know, there's a class war going on and our side's winning. And he, he's open about it. He's not pretending it's a democracy. He's clear. Yes. There's no pretenses, my dear. I mean, even Bush. Of they're bloody winning. They've got more resources to back them up. But at least he says it. <laughs> even, even Chomsky himself says, you know, the last 30 years has been a one-sided class war. It has been one sided. You know? I mean, I, I just listen. The gains that we've achieved, especially after World War Two, are being taken one by one by one because you know that's what happens with reforms. They're not set in concrete. They yeah. can be taken back from us. They've always hated it. They've hated it. They've hated that we get the right. To, they hated that we vote. They hated that we have any rights. They want us back, like the peasants tugging the forelock, and that's yeah. what they really want. And never ever forget that, listener. I don't have to tell you this, Glenn. You know they want us back as we were before tied to the land and as I said tugging the forelock. That's well, that's what John Kirkpatrick Simpson himself was saying, writing to his mother before he went to Gallipoli how he wants a revolution in England get rid of the Dutch dukes and the duchesses and the millionaires where the ordinary working person can be proud of themselves they can work together. They were his goals as I said to you, you won't hear Tony Abbott mouthing that or Brendan Nelson actually anybody else apart from 3CR Yes, where I else was just thinking I was just thinking we um, I'm not sure if we're allowed to say such things about class war. Are we allowed to use the term class war on radio? But it's it, it's the elephant in the room, class. We discuss uh, ethnicity, no. race, gender. We discuss a range of important issues. But there's one big issue, the elephant in the room, we don't talk about, which is class. Well, Norm Gallagher, remember, was jailed for using the term class warfare. Yeah. Uh, he was jailed for contempt of court contempt for of court. using the term class warfare, but he wasn't in the court. No. The court had closed the decision. He, had been reached. Steps. he stepped outside and he was on the steps of That's the courthouse right. and one of the radio people shoved a microphone in his house and he said, yeah. yes, it's it's not, you know, he said, yes, we haven't won the war, but it's a victory because it's a battle in the class yeah. war. And bang, contempt of court and thrown in the slammer for that. So are we allowed to use the term class war? Oh, we allowed to use the term class. We don't. It's the elephant in the room. Oh, no, you can use the word class, but, but, we... but, but you'll just people, they, 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 the mythical them will just say, oh, don't be silly, we're a classless society That's now. Right. But as, look, even the 80s, under Bob Hawke, the two biggest growth areas were the homeless and the millionaires. Mm. We're talking hawkless power. They 91. always go together. It's almost 25 years ago. And the disparities in wealth, I, mean, I was looking at stuff in 2001 or so, the disparity in Australia of wealth was the greatest it had been since the start of World War I, 87 years prior, which is now 101 years prior. And it's not getting any lesser. The gap gets bigger for those, that, those few that have and most who have not. And there's many, many would-be's who could-be's who have, have something, which is like credit cards and mortgages, and we're encouraged to borrow, 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 you know. Just, it, it, contemporary capitalism, it's, um, it's a colossus with feet of sand. Again, and the key is the C word. We can't, won't discuss class. You know, sometimes I should tell the listener this, or maybe I don't really like you know, having such an insight into the evil thoughts in my soul, really. But sometimes I just think, oh... If I had, you know, because I, I think of three wishes, like like in the fairy stories, you always got three wishes. And I was think one wish would be the first one would be I want all the nasty asshole mongrel bastards, rabid people there are in the world, to suddenly all die of some mysterious ailment, sort of like a plague, but sort of not like the Black Death or the Chook Plague or whatever the hell we've all had. Ebola, Avian flu, nothing like that. I just mean, does it strike the people who have the most evil in their hearts suddenly just? The heart stops beating. Yeah. And I thought, 
we could get I could get rid of quite a few nasty people from the world that way. Now, how can I do that? How can I do? There must be some way this is done. There's got to be some scientific way to target only those with venom in their hearts. Well, you have a good knowledge of Celtic mythology and some of the Celtic sort of female powers. I mean, is there some sort of spell you can conjure up to sort of kill the uh, the wealthy bludgers in this land and from all lands, actually? And from all lands, it's not a spell. I'm Spells just of what witches and people think well, but for the power of, of mythology. I'm a mythology maven, listener. In case you... a maven, good lord, what's a yeah, maven? I'm a mythology maven. What's a maven? Well, if you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. What's I'm asking you for? It's sort of like a master of knowledge, so he knows okay. about it. It's a nice... Um, You're not raven. I don't think it's Hebrew. I think it's a Yiddish word that's used quite a lot. But yes, yes, yes. Yiddish word, good Lord. Yes. God, you know, Yiddish, senate, 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 senate. The only Yiddish I know is at, one, at primary school, we did that song Dora about the cows, I think. That was an old Yiddish tune, I believe. Dora. Well, we did it at primary school. We're talking a long time ago. But, oh, God, was, was it called Dora? D-O-R-A. It's a Yiddish, Yiddish sort of tune for kids from a long time ago. Well, I must say that in my school we didn't um, but to a state learn school. anything. Well, uh, there you go. There you go. Catholic schools wouldn't do Yiddish or Hebrew, right? <laughs> that's for sure. Well, we would, but not nursery rhymes, for heaven's sake. We had a song called Zenat Zenna. Yeah, well, Which is a dance. Zen, it's a whirling. It's a circle dance. Like the whirling furfies. A circular dance, as all um, early societies have. And we still have, we still dance a sort of circular now, but, you know, normally just a couple of people and they waltz. But the circle, you know, the, yeah. you go around and around, you go around the other way. It's an old symbol. It's a sun symbol, of course, always the circle. Was it the whirling dervishes or the whirling dervishes that um dervish that besieged General Gordon in Khartoum? The, the wonderful General Gordon, the, the noble British gentleman. Yes. yes, the dervishes. That's a. They don't do circle dancing. They just sort of spin around themselves and just keep spinning around until they're totally out of it. And I haven't done that since I was a kid either. <laughs> I can say my one on here. Remember, listener. I've got my words carefully. Yeah. Remember that when you remember that. Listen, when you'd make when you'd spin around as a kid and just keep spinning and yeah. spinning till you got giddy and you'd re- and my granddaughter does that and I used to laugh and then I'd fall over yeah, and laugh. Does that sort of well, I wouldn't want to do it now. As I just well, I wouldn't want to fall over. Of course, your granddaughter does that. All <laughs> children do <laughs> that. Yes, no. She enjoys that. She does. Well, that's the dervish. That's what mm. the dervishes do. A dervish, of course, is better than a um, dacoit. The coits were Indian, weren't they? Yeah, they used well, to so strangle people, didn't they? Wasn't it? The, the, no, they were, they were the assassins. Yeah, assassins, assassins, the hash assassins, assassins. with all the hashish. Well, oh, all so allegedly, I bet they didn't. If they had all that hashish, so they'd be they be couldn't too slow to they do couldn't things. be bothered. They couldn't <laughs> be bothered strangling anyone. They'd, oh, why bother? It's hard. Yeah, sit back and look at the world go by. Yes, yeah. As oh, look do. at that lovely colour. Wow, yeah. the clouds nice. Yes, you wouldn't be strangling people. Would What'd you, you say? Yes, precisely. Half hour ago I said that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we were miles away. But decoids, but dervishes, and all the imagery imagery portrayed fear Gordon. in the hearts of the white English. Now, where was Gordon in the same In Khartoum in Sudan. Well, what was the one where they all had to, where they were all worried, all the English were worried about it. It was all a big newspaper thing. Ah, oh, the King, the relief of Mafeking. Rourke's Drift. Rourke's Drift. Now, that's the film, Zulu. That's a terrific film. There's a few big sages. There was Maffy King. There was Rourke's Driftkins for Zulus. That's there it. There was Khartoum. And there was Kut in Mesopotamia. 
Oh, I don't know these places. But these, well, this is me being a historian, my dear, reading, reading books. Oh, all right, then. I'm just, if I can't big note on there, where can I big note? <laughs> I know about the relief of Mother King. Yes. Because it was such a big deal. Baden Powell was there, wasn't he? That people were dancing in, in the streets, possibly circular dancing. Five weeks later. All over, yes, when <laughs> the news got through. <laughs> yes, but the, they, they had to do Save Gordon. I didn't, Gordon, I didn't realise it was Khartoum. It was Khartoum, but they didn't save him. He got his arm. Weren't they in the Red Square there? I don't mean the Red Square, where, <laughs> the, where, where the bag <laughs> might have around. It might have ran red of blood, but um, yes. Yeah, the square. It's play up, play up and play the game. I know, they, they killed Gordon and uh, the rest of his um, invaders. And they, they were invaders. They didn't go to Sudan to save people. They invaded. The British weren't, you know, these, these benevolent, caring, sharing explorers. They invaded nations, including our own nation. They invaded our nation here, you know. So there's a long sword of history of British imperialism, my dear. I'm just trying to think uh, how that goes, how that goes about play up and play the game. It was... Oh, God. Oh, well, no yes, idea. yeah. Yeah, the sand of the desert is sodden red, red with the wreck of a square that broke, the Gatlings jammed and the colonels dead, and the regiments blind with dust and smoke. The river of death has brimmed its banks, and England's far and honour a name, but the voice of a schoolboy rallies the ranks. Play up, play oh, up, Lord. and play uh, that game. On that note, I've got to go. That's, this that's is what my poor feeble mind can bear this morning. This is how the boys were brainwashed. That was British jingoism at its most vile. And I know what jingoism too. That's uh, from oh, the Jingo, musical, musical thing um, from Rudyard Kipling. That was him. You know, we don't want to go to war, but by jingo, if we do, we've got the men, we've got the guns, we've got the money well, too. Well, his son went to war in the Great Trade War and his son was killed. Didn't and he change his mind then? Well, he, he spent years afterward trying to find his son's remains and never found his son's body. Well, I'm sorry that he did that, Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Kipling, for the... I mean, I have a fair idea of the grief he must have gone through. Um I'm sorry yes. he did that, but I mean, he was all for war, but I thought he changed his mind. He might have after his son was killed. He, he spent, look, after the armistice in World War One, he spent a long time watering the fields, trying to find the remains where his son was. And, um, and look, goodness knows, I, I couldn't give you a figure, but how many how many of those that died in the Great Trade War have no unknown last resting place? Um, no unknown grave. I mean, yes. The unknown soldier is the, imbol- is the symbol of that. Anyway, nothing. Um, yeah. Oh, yep. Yep. It's all right. I was, you, I was totally thrown off. Then when you Shit, said that when you mentioned the other, no, we yeah. are no one soldiers. And every nation, the, the Australians, the Kiwis, you know, the Russians, the Germans have their own soldiers. Someone whose remains have been brought back to their homeland to be put on, not on the spot, but to be buried somewhere symbolically to symbolise those that have no non-resting place. Well, a lot of them were blown up. I mean, That's literally right. blown up. That's correct. Blown up. A lot of them just didn't exist. Yeah. They just became... So who, um, who uh, was it who wrote, you know, the Derriere, um not the Derriere, um Danny Boy? I don't know, sorry. That was an English man who was a mad, violent, pro-war thing till he lost his son. I don't know. In so the Great War, the Great Trade War. Well, that can be a task for my listeners can listen. And that's a terrible song when you look at the words of that. And, of course, the beautiful music, but this, the fellow who composed 
the fellow who wrote the words was the lyricist. He wasn't the musical composer. They've used a beautiful melody. I mean, there's a great poet of World War One, like Siegfried Sassoon oh, yes. and Wilfred Owen, who saw through horrors. And it was Rupert Brooke, who was a pro-war person, who died really early on. So he extolled the virtues of war and he died very early on. So Serves him right. I'm not arguing. No, I'm not. I shouldn't say that. He was another poor young man. He but not chose, too poor. He, he was well He was a wealthy white Englishman who wanted to extol the virtues of war. As long as, his, as long as it was his bloody peasants fighting, not him. Well, he died himself. So what yeah. more can I say? But it wasn't, I mean, from the land that Rupert Brooks people oppressed, the Emerald Isle, in those words, my forebears, Chocula. And of mine, Chocula. Tis far away I am today From scenes I wander by And long ago The hour I know I Oh 
oh dear listener, I, I hadn't quite realised that was so slow and somewhat mournful. And of course I was too busy trying to help the bag man into the studio and help him out of the chair and get his walking frame there and get him over to somewhere he could sit down that I wasn't really listening. And if I had been listening, I wouldn't have heard because of his his moans and wails of pain. What the hell's wrong with their bag, man? Good morning, Susan. Good morning, listeners. Oh, yes, good morning, yes. I think I've got a oh, – no, I know. I thought I had a broken rib, um, which occurred last uh, Saturday night after walking into a piece of furniture. But um, I discovered uh, – they're only badly bruised and uh, pleurisy is set in, so I'm on a course of antibiotics and whatever, so don't make me laugh. You can't, br- ribs don't bruise, they're made of bone. Yes, but apparently when you bruise the muscle, it opens up and pleurisy sets in. But what the... Um, everyone in, e- everyone has the pleurisy, it's sort of yeah. like um, n- n- pneumonia, yeah. we've all got it within us, but you have to be sort of run down, something has to happen, usually a trauma, yeah. and you're saying you lurched, I don't, sorry, I don't mean lurched into, you mean you bumped yourself on what, the bathroom sink or something? Or maybe the bar the corner edge of the bar in the it, kitchen in the kitchen okay, so you hurt. should have you should have rounded bar corners in your houses listening oh this thanks for telling did. me now i'll go home and saw them off you so, got to plane them off plane them off the only thing they did find out when they done the x-rays was um the old scarring uh, from the police horse I that remember, hit me at 417 Gilderay. I remember the incident yeah. well. I yeah. remember the incident well. It's all on film too. If I only had known in those days that you could, that you could sue the police force, or the police horse. Um, but Who's now dead. Yeah, well, it's karma. The yes. police horse is now dead. <laughs> um, and anyway, the but police I, horse yes. wasn't aiming for me. The police horse was aiming for a bloke called John Cummins. It was indeed. But I remember that incident well back, man. Yes, so do I. And I remember, uh, well, not chasing the ambulance down the road, but trying to find out where it was going. Mm. And then when they told me, oh, I forgot where they told me. Uh Anyway. Well, I went to the Alfred Hospital. Alfred, that's right. That's but, right. But when I contacted them there and not just met a couple other – I got other couple of people to contact you. They said no. No, no, no person no there. There's a – they did say there's an 87-year-old yes. man here and, and I said, no, with the name of him. Evans. Yes, and, but they said they had no one who'd come from 417 yeah. Road. Mm. No, they had no one – no, they were no – so, of course, I got someone else to ring around in case the ambulance was – Put off to another hospital. Mm-hmm. No, no, nothing no. from Fort Worth. Not so. After a day, we waited. At, no, they weren't going to the hospital. Then I thought they'd taken taken you. That the police had taken you under guise of an ambulance to some secret underground, <laughs> right. you know, sort of installation where the uh, whoever they ACO or something mm. was going to put you under severe interrogation using Sophia in interrogatory techniques. Bit of waterboarding or something like that? I didn't know about waterboarding <laughs> then, but I thought about fingernails and stuff. Oh, right. That had hurt. Do having you remember, your fingernails pulled out. Do you remember when you were a kid and they had all those baddies like the Nazis and and the Bosch and we used to read or watch and all the gallant sort of people from, you know, well, the resistance. It's funny about France we read and all the sort of resistance in France fighting against the Bosch. God, the French were brave. They just stare at the German troops and go, oh, Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> but remember we said then, well, we're the baddies now. We're the Nazis, the other people. Who were 
uh, their resistance, the good guys aren't us. But well, anyway, with the gov- with the current government, yes. uh, I think we could we could be described in that way because yeah. uh, Tony Abbott. Gee, he, this bloke is a deal. He's talking about uh, people coming, um, refugees coming here, you know, dying on their way and uh, Malaysia and uh, Indonesia pushing back boats because they've learnt from the Labor Party. Um, and Tony says, nope, 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 they ain't coming here. Now, that's coming from the dope, the dope and the dope. I see that Cuba is um, taking refugees now. Well, I, I would expect Cuba well, to do Cuba that. Well, Cuba has, they've always sent more aid than the other country. They, mm. they were sent their doctors, their, they right. were sent their medical staff. Mm. They were sent their sort of community staff who know how to sort of get fresh water and build windmills and all that stuff. They always send them, you go to any place that's devastated by some horrible natural disaster, and there's 100 aid workers. 90 of them will be from Cuba. And you know, any- do you know that uh, in Cuba, if you fall over and break your leg, and I know this because I spoke because, to a person... Because you fell over and broke your leg? No, it wasn't me. It was uh, some woman who fell over and broke her leg that she said she hadn't been treated uh, better in any country uh, all around the world, and it was free. Same as this. Well... Free. Well, for her, if she were a tourist and she fell over and broke a leg, yeah, well, she was a tourist. Well, then that is free. Yeah. So she did get free treatment. Yeah. We don't get free treatment here. Here in Australia, we pay for it. We pay. Was it one point three zero two percent of our income? Yeah, one point three. Right. Whatever it is, we all pay that. I mean, oh. I pay just the same as Mount Gina. I pay the same amount as Clyde You're Palmer. You're getting into trouble for calling a Mount Gina. Oh, sorry, did I... Yes, you why? said Mount Gina. Oh. That's derogatory. Oh, people might think that I'm having a go at her, um, um, her, her shape. Her, her shape? Her shape, her torso, her, her, si- torso? her girth, her mm. immense fatness. What do I mean? Her immense fatness. Did You'll I get into that? more trouble. Oh, dear. Sorry. Oh, golly. I'll just uh. sit my mouth up. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry, listener. I do, ap- I do apologise, listener. I really, I do not believe I've never been a person to go for anyone because of their physical disability. Go for the man, not the ball. Yes, that's mm. right. You've got to, <laughs> thank you. Have I got, you sound like camo. Yeah. That's one of those camo-isms, yeah, is, isn't right. it? What was the other one? Um, oh, should, which other one? <laughs> well, there was a there was a whole book full of them. Uh, but when talking to bosses and how they mucked up, he said, um, "You fucked it, you fix it." Yes, yes, that, that was, was that, that was a good that one. Was this one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's him indeed. Oh my word! Now There's before no, we God, yeah, I miss him. God, yeah, that's I miss right. him. Before we get on to more serious business about the Catholic Church, um, finally, someone in the ALP uh, has come out. Uh, condemning 457 visas. Really? A Victorian government minister has made an extraordinary attack on the foreign worker visa scheme, dubbing it out of control and saying it cost local jobs. Now, Community Affairs Minister Jane Garrett 
has pledged to campaign to wind back the scheme if she wins her bid to become the ALP's next national president. It's very uh. clear to me, she says, it's out of control. It undermines our standing in, uh, at an international level, allows the exploitation of overseas workers to go unchecked and displaces local workers. And she goes on to say, at the same time, our national reputation is trashed at a global level as overseas workers are exploited in, in ways usually seen only in the developing world. But mm. here's, the, here's the bit I like. We need to set caps on all working visa programs, ensure that jobs are offered to locals before we look to overseas workers, and we need to get, here we go, we need to get the criminal elements hiding in the labour hire companies out of the system. Now, I've said this before, yes. and I'll say it again. I think that there's people involved with the criminal activities in the Department of Immigration, as well as migration agents, uh, and as well as the people here that are willing to exploit people um, for as little as $3 an hour in shocking conditions, no occupational health and safety. Mm. Um, I think the criminals ought to be um, brought brought to justice. And they are people in the Immigration Department. They are politicians who agree with this scheme, the 417, the 457 visas, and uh, those criminal elements uh, in the labour hire firms and the migration agents ought to be um, pulled up before the court and uh, sent to jail. If if I had my way, that's the way it would be. And I noticed, Susan, (coughs) excuse me, so I got a, um, a, a good letter from Trevor of Melton this week when he was talking about exactly the same things. People on 417 and 457 visas are uh, being exploited at the cost of local jobs. Now, we're not against people getting work and if they come from overseas, uh, but this seems to be a scheme that's wrought. Um, with um, uh, criminal activities and whatever. And the sooner we put a stop to it, uh, the better off working people will be. I've often wondered how so much of this, well, it's basically slavery, how much of it could go on without someone, some at least one person in the Department of Immigration being aware of it. And I've often wondered how it could go on without someone in the Department of, of um, Immigration actively assisting it. But, of course, I don't know. And, of course, I wouldn't like to say anything against a public servant, even if I knew who that public servant might be. I might say something a little later about a... Um, a certain public servant. Yes, but I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. I just will. No, I won't. Well, I'm, I'm not leaving the studio until you... Do you say it? Well, okay. Well, I'll I'll trade with you again. I'll, I'll say something about a certain union official then. All right, okay. which has nothing to do well, with with um, these workers. All right, this at is all. A, this is a cover up of Pell proportions, and we're talking about Cardinal Pell. I like that of Pell proportions of Pell proportions because uh, we've seen the um, um, the Royal Commission into child sexual abuse in institutions and whatever, and it seems like Cardinal Pell. He's out there amongst them covering up, uh, moving priests to different uh, locations. It's his job. And he says, oh, I didn't know anything about it. Well, he went. The, the worst pedophile in the Catholic Church is a bloke called Jared Risdale. And Cardinal Pell 
actually escorted him into court one day uh, and gave character reference for him when he was charged with pedophilia. Now, you don't know Cardinal Pell? Well, you were there in court giving evidence for this rat who uh, was exploited uh, and sexually uh, molested uh, young men. It was, it was estimated, I was listening to the radio the other day, that in just one particular school in Ballarat, one school, there was five pedophile priests. Oh, my God. And without sounding funny, it's a smorgasbord uh, for pedophiles. Yeah. And the... the Pell has got to be brought back to Australia. Yeah. He's got to be brought before the Royal Commission and he's got to tell the truth. And then, Oh, come now. Well, he's a Catholic priest. You were brought up a Catholic. You know, you can't tell lies. Oh, oh you can. can. You just go to confession afterwards. Precisely, <laughs> precisely. But Abbott's very, he's a very good mate of Pell's, isn't he? Yeah. He yeah. always said Pell is the best, probably the best churchman in Australia. That's if right. not the Southern Hemisphere, oh, not the world. No, I think I'm exaggerating. I think he just said he was the best churchman in Australia. Mm. That was Pell. Mm. Well, that's Abbott for you. Well, the failed been- priest failed priest. Um, now, he's got to be brought back to this country. He's got to be compelled to give evidence. Compel pal, we say. Compel pal. Uh, and then, as far as I'm concerned, and I hope I'm not going out with the boards of the, the bounds of reality, um, he should be charged. That's my opinion. That is uh, beyond... A personal opinion. Yes, that is, is beyond the bounds of reality. Exactly. But if this were not an institution like the Catholic Church, to say this was a furniture factory somewhere, mm-hmm. and the managing you know, thing of the furniture thing had known about all this horrible stuff, this pedophilia going on with the underage workers, and had been <coughs> covering up and moving them around, well, you'd think... Would that person be taken to court and mm. charged and convicted and possibly confined? I think so. so confined why, in a cell. So why um, well, wouldn't it happen for someone because they haven't happened to be a member of a church? Mm. I bet you if it weren't a Christian church, they'd be up there right now in the dock, chained. Mm. See, I have, uh, I don't want to go into it too much, but I have some personal experience because I was uh, put in the care of uh, the Catholic Church for a period of time and I've seen the sexual and physical abuse of young people. I wasn't sexually abused as such but I I witnessed or heard people being sexually abused um, and I felt guilty about that but, you know, I didn't have to feel guilty because every uh, yeah, week or so... Yeah, you were just a little boy. Yeah, and every week or so the, the priest would come in and bash the... Uh, or kick the tripe out of me. Um, that was my punishment. Um, so I've always felt guilty about that, but uh, I'm going to be giving evidence uh, to the Royal Commission, and uh, I think the Franciscan priests and brothers that ran the, uh, we'll say, a reformatory uh, on behalf of the Catholic Church have got a lot to answer for. It's the old uh, thing, uh, Susan, no alive. pain, no gain. Yeah, that's what it was. If you weren't hurting, it wasn't good for you. If it doesn't... You know, if it doesn't kill you, it's got to be good for you. Dear and me, they, it's like a different world for me. Yes, I was brought and up they've been able to get away with it for hmm. like such different style of teaching, and really, 
Well, yeah, you oh, went you went to Catholic school, and so did yes. I. But um, mine was obviously nothing like yours. Yeah, but our excuse is that the uh, Catholics make the best communists, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <clears throat> it's all right. Yeah. These are terrible things. Uh, yes, they're just things about children. They really are awful, aren't they? No, I shouldn't. No, I don't. I'm not allowed to distress myself, bag man. Oh, you're not allowed to get upset, no. are you? No smoking, no drinking coffee. No. no. Uh, you live on a, um, uh, a one biscuit a day. I don't have biscuits. Don't you? No. Even they're out. I yes. I, I, I sort of subsist on a cup, cup, couple of mushrooms and a beetroot and a cookie. You have you have the odd cookie. You no, should, Susan. Nothing. You forget about your troubles. For a long, long time, you pack up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, oh, smile. smile. You sound like Christopher Payne. <laughs> no, um, it's just no. But I had been told not to watch the news, and I'm not allowed to watch Abbott. Yesterday, when I was in another waiting room in St Vincent's, excellent hospital, fabulous place, fabulous place. So You're only saying that in case you have to go back there again. I will be going back to it. No, it's a lot. No, I really appreciate the staff in there. I appreciate everything about it. Yeah. While I was in the waiting room and they've got this huge, you know, sort of 80 foot wide television on the wall, usually playing some horrible American, you know, sitcom. Or adverts. Yeah, but the news came on and mm-hmm. there's this, Abbott, this huge image of Abbott's head and I raised my feet and said, no, no, I can't watch this. And I turned my back to it and told the assembled patients, Did all you? these people, I said, my doctor told me I'm not allowed to look at him, I'm not allowed to even hear him, so I keep talking over him. And, of course, it really eased everyone else in the way to him so, so, so that they could all say horrible things about this horrible man. And I thought, I've never come across anyone who, who claims to, who admits, who confesses to voting for him. But it's true, I'm not allowed to be um, hmm. distressed and I cannot watch. I'm following doctor's orders. Right. And uh, you've got to admit that uh, he is the worst Prime Minister in oh, well, Australia's history and yeah. probably the worst government in Australia's history. And I keep mentioning it, that Bill Shorten hasn't laid a glove on Where's him. the opposition? Where's the opposition? That's exactly what you say. Well, maybe people like Jane Garrett, well, uh, if she so. becomes national president and she stands up for what she said about 417 and 457 visas, maybe she uh, would be a credible uh, opposition. <sighs> yeah, this, I keep thinking, saying, where's the opposition? Abbott stands up there, leaving himself open, leaving himself open for all... Oh. Well, Even pe- when he's called short, and I'm short, and just sits there and grins, I tell you what, Abbott would never have gotten away speaking with... would never have got away with referring to me as he's referred to short. Anyone, look, I would have... Well, look, they would have all been punched out by now, and I'm a lady. Well, no one, no one should be able to be called that. Yeah, yeah. in the parliament, uh, um, much less in front of Bronwyn Bishop, um, that you call the CUNT. Well, and you don't leap over the uh, leap over the table and grab him by the motorboat. Well, I would have leapt over, over the table and grabbed him by the necktie, the blue one, <laughs> the necktie. That's all. I, I I've been known to grab people's neckties and swing on them, but that was a long time ago. 
when you were a young lady. And uh, when I was hiding the fact that I was a young lady and when men wore neckties and wear horrible (laughs) high swung on the necktie from some BHP bloody director once. Really? Who told me that, you know, he didn't want me littering up, that I should go home and attend to my family. And you did. And attend to my family instead of littering up his steps with all these Mm. rubbishy signs and things. Well, I swung on his necktie and took a couple of steps backwards, you know, down the steps. Yeah. But I was restrained. Uh, I always get restrained. Yeah, well, that's what the police force are for, Susan, to restrain people like you. Anyway, I'm not getting back into pedophilia, but um, let me state that British police investigating allegations of historical child sex abuse said more than 1,400 people had been named as suspects, including 261 described as people of public prominence, including dozens of politicians and TV stars. Now, we're People all, of public prominence. That's right. And we all remember... I like that. We all Pop. remember Jimmy Seville and uh, whatever and the, uh, the, uh, the crimes that he committed. Well, here are people including Mr. dozens of politicians and TV stars. <sighs> yes. It can't be safe for young people to go out these days. No. If you're going to get... <laughs> If you're going to get tampered with by dozens of politicians, <laughs> and even, not even safe for the TV star. We shouldn't make lies of it by some... No, we shouldn't. Man, we shouldn't. We get that going out being assaulted by a politician. Well, of course, keep all children away from politicians. The, one of the best saves, rescues I've ever seen in my life was uh, Catherine Gow. You know, Catherine I remember Gow, Catherine Gow, yes. Uh, dedicated, you know, activists from the community, yes. mainly from the West out there. Mm. And she was with her niece, very young niece, about four years old or so, somewhere. And the then Premier of Victoria, a man by the name of Kenneth. Jeff Kennett, <clears throat> and man, well, it turned around. Of course, he saw the wonderful photo op of the nice, of the beautiful, shining little girl with the red gold curls. And he went to pick her and up. And he did went he? to pick her up. And Catherine Gow flew like a flute player. <laughs> and I thought she was going to tackle Tack on. Get, get it around the knees, <laughs> but no, she grabbed the child and swept the child up, holding <laughs> in her arms and said, "Stay away! This is my niece. How dare you!" Really, like he was some horrible old, you know. Well, who knows? I'm not going to say a word about Jeff Kennett. I've already got. I've already been in trouble about. We have Jeff bad Kennett. memories of Jeff Kennett, but there you go. He's a man of prominence now, and uh, he's a he's a talking head. Uh, he has an opinion on everything. But there you yeah, go. What's he still <clears throat> doing around the place? He's still getting around the place. He's in charge of uh, Beyond Blue, um, an organisation. He's in charge of depression, is he? Depression. We cause based on Well, it? that's <clears throat> what you... Well, it's a <laughs> self-perpetuating <laughs> industry. How, <laughs> how wonderful. Yeah. Well, look, it's coming up to 9.57, Susan. Is I sh- it? I should, make, um, should say goodbye to people for a little while. You should, actually, you should say yasu. Yasu. Um, I'll be you? I'll be off for about four weeks, uh, sunning on the sunny island of Santorini, um, probably at the nude beach there. I'll in be Santorini. I don't think there's a nude beach in Santorini. Well, is there? there will be when I get there. I understand. Yeah, that's all right. This is a warning <coughs> to anyone who may be traveling near Santorini in the next four weeks. Avoid, avoid it, because <laughs> of the. The bag man made, made it a nude beach. That's no, I don't mean to avoid that. I did ask if you were going anywhere near Cos. You could have called in some friends of mine. To where? Cos. Oh, Cos. I've been there. towards it. the east. But look, I've arranged. It's across the water from Turkey. Yeah. Remember Turkey? Yeah, I do. 
Um, mm. I've arranged for accommodation there. I've spoken to a couple of friends of mine, and they're going to put me up for free. They're going to let me drink all their retina and eat all their food yeah. and maybe have sex with uh, one of the odd relatives or whatever, yeah. all for nothing. How, That's a good deal. How, tell me how you manage this. <laughs> God. You can't. Not on, t- not on radio, Susan. You can't tell me. Okay. It's 9.59, so let's be out of here. Let's well, go out the same old way. Well, yes, I know. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.